You are listening to Nerd Best Friends, a podcast that covers the nerdy conversations you're already having, or wish you could. It's the nerdiest thing you'll do this week. Welcome back to another episode of Nerd Best Friends. I am Annalise, and I'm here with my best friend, Rob. Hey, it's me, Rob, your best friend, your super nerd, and your podcast host. Nerd Best Friends can be found wherever you get your podcasts. Subscribe and follow us now. Support our podcast by clicking subscribe or follow on your devices and find us on Patreon or Venmo for more support options. This is episode 48 and we introduce a new annual episode, The 30s. Get ready to dive into the nostalgic abyss of nerd pop culture from three decades ago. It's a journey filled with dial-up internet, surge soda, and the unforgettable tunes of the 90s. Buckle up, it's our trip back to 1994. Surge Soda! Surge Soda, man. It was the Mountain Dew of its time. Mountain Dew before there was Mountain Dew, right? No, no, no. Mountain Dew's been Mountain Dew's older? For, oh, okay. Since like the 50s or something. It was the Mountain Dew for the teens of the it was. It was the Mountain Dew, but it was for the youth, and it was extreme. Completely. But first... What I like about it. This time for what I like about it, I chose something a little bit different. And this is cookbooks, nerdy themed cookbooks. Oh, yeah. Okay. Okay. There's a ton of them. So I have here handy right off my shelf is the one of the Dungeons and Dragons cookbooks. It's called Heroes Feast. And I've seen at the bookstore, there's also Heroes Feast 2. They made another oh my one. God. I know that uh, right next to it on the shelf in the bookstore when I was looking, there was, of course, the World of Warcraft cookbook as well. Well, I know there's a Marvel Universe one I think we have somewhere as well where you can make like Aunt May's Johnny Cakes and things like that. Oh my and, gosh. <laughs> and so like I get that it's just a gimmick, right? It's whatever cookbook and they just kind of slap a label on it to sell product. Like I get that. But it's a fun gimmick. It is yeah. <laughs> one of these things where, first of all, they're beautiful, right? Any, you know, good hardback cookbook is really kind of a coffee table book because you can leave them out and people flip through them and the pictures of the food are absolutely gorgeous, right? In these yes. things. And so that's really fun. If you're into both food and or photography, that's cool to look at. And then it gives you, you know, it's kind of a motivating factor too. If you're going to make a big complex recipe or something like that, you can open one of these things up. One of my favorite memories of kind of coping and overcoming things during the pandemic times was during Thanksgiving, we decided we weren't going to gather with our extended family. And so instead, just the three of us were going, you know, we were going to make a Thanksgiving for ourselves. So we did it completely non-traditional. We grabbed the Heroes Feast Dungeons and Dragons cookbook off the shelf and we spent all day, you know, well, we made a big plan. We decided to have one meal from each section. And so the way that they divide yes, this particular yes, yes, yes. one up is by the Dungeons and Dragons like species that are in there. So there's a human section and a halfling section and a dark elf section and a dwarf section and all these kinds of things. And so we went through and grabbed a recipe from each of the different 
different sections, right? And so they're kind of clever as far as how they, you know, divide things up. Like the elf section is all vegetarian meals and the halfling section is a lot of like rich, buttery, you know, fatty comfort food type things yeah, yeah, yeah. and stuff like that. So, and we, we had a, a ton of fun going through, picking out, basically went to each section and kind of marked, well, what would we eat? What would we like to cook? This, this, mm-hmm, this, and mm-hmm. this. And then going back through that and figuring out, okay, well, if this is going to be one big meal, what complements each other? Like we don't want to end up with three dishes that all have the same ingredient or something like that. Right. So we went through and looked at it. We made our plan. We did our shopping. We spent all day cooking and taking pictures and all this kind of stuff. So it, it was motivating and it was just a fun way to look at it because we had that frame of reference and just that kind of fun where if I pick up generic cookbook number three <laughs> off the shelf, even though it's still the same, it could have the exact same recipes in it with the exact same beautiful pictures and stuff. It just, it, it might not have that frame of reference or that that starter or prompt, if you will, to get that done. So I look forward to doing the same thing with the Marvel Universe one that we have and maybe we'll make an Avengers feast or something. There and we'll you pick go. Them, you know, we'll pick the Iron Man the Thor and the whole recipes wow. and put them all together, something like that. That is super fun. I remember the Thanksgiving you said you were gonna do you were gonna do that instead of uh-huh. when we were at a time where we weren't going to other people's houses. Yeah, I have a Harry Potter one that Perfect, I've, yeah. cooked, I've cooked a few recipes from, but not like a whole meal. I mean, that sounds amazing. But you know what I saw? I, I was recently in my local game store, my local nerd store. There's a Castle Rock Kitchen cookbook that's Stephen King our last uh, episode right like <laughs> so it's a bunch of recipes from foods that are mentioned in a bunch of his books it's phenomenal i don't have it yet that's it's on my it's on my my list but man again yeah it's a big beautiful hardcover book with beautiful pictures inside and then there's narrative about where what book it's from and how they devise the recipe because it's not like stephen king's writing out recipes in his books but you know oh during it this family is sitting together and they're having this meal here's a recipe to cook it i'm excited you're right on with the nerd cookbooks very cool. I would love to hear stories from listeners too about what nerdy cookbooks they have and if they have any fun stories about putting those recipes together, putting those feasts together. Absolutely. That should be that should be added to your nerd, nerd goals to have a, a nerd cookbook feast. Um, Just throwing that out there. You could add it in if you're going to do it anyways. That's a good nerd project is to mm-hmm. cook from the nerd cookbooks. I love it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. How about some nerd mail? Nerd mail. We've heard from some TikTok followers who have noted that we've been quiet on that platform, and they are absolutely right. Thank you, followers, for calling us out on that. But we've been posting mostly on Instagram and Facebook. Part of our nerd goals for 2024 is to be a little bit more present on social media. So we're going to work on it. We promise. Stay following. But thank you for calling us out. I appreciate it. The good news is we are getting new followers almost every day on all the platforms that we post on. So the word's getting out there and share with your friends. On to the episode, Rob. It's our new segment, The 30s. This is great. We came up with this idea of like, let's take a look at what was going on 30 years ago, because 30 years ago, I was doing the calculations. So 30 years ago was 1994. We met in 1993. Yes. So (laughs) if you had, so that's kind of the impetus of this, like, oh man, I wish I had thought of this a couple months earlier. (laughs) We could have done it at the end of uh, 2023. And that would have been the number one thing was the nerd best friend. Nerd best friends was born (laughs) then. Pretty much 1990. I mean, we met in 93. But yeah, we really didn't start hanging out till like your sophomore year. 
1994 was my freshman year of high school. So if you think about those influential pop culture things, the music, the movies, the TV shows that were on, the comic books I was reading, I mean, that's really the start of big nerd rock. Right. It's sure, going to yeah. be 30 years well, ago and, in 1984. And, and don't forget that the calendar year is a little bit different than the school year, right? So right. it would have been the spring of your freshman year, summer between your freshman and sophomore year, and fall of your sophomore year. So there's a, the, the way the calendar works, it's kind of in between our schooling years, but agree that I look back on this and go, one, I can't believe it was 30 years ago. I definitely do not feel old enough to say that, but it really got me the other day when we were playing masks. When, mm-hmm. um, you know, I had to take a little extended break. We usually take a little break because I had to feel a phone call from HR. And I'm like, yeah, the principal's job is never done. I had to like take this call and, you know, whatever. And then I said, but now I get to cut my mentality into a third of how old I am. And then I, the maths are, oh my gosh, I'm, I'm 45 and I'm role playing a 15 year old in high school. 30 years ago is when I was a 15 year old. Like it just blew my mind the other day. Right. So mask is an, uh, a role playing game that it's like a, it's a superhero role playing game. And the setting yeah. that we're in is a superhero high school setting, very much like a like X-Men Hogwarts. Academy or like a sky yeah. high uh, type oh, yeah. situation um, where we're at. And so, yeah, we're playing 15 year olds and uh, <laughs> it is very, it, it's what I'm what I'm really digging about it on the lines of what you were just saying is there are things about being 15. There are things about being high school that are evergreen, right? They're the same yes. as they were 30 years ago. And yes. then there's a lot of things that we, you know, humorously try to interject in that are very different, right? Yeah. <laughs> it makes the game really fun, especially since it's run by your son, who's almost 15 himself. So he is 15. Like, he's almost 16. Is, <laughs> did he already turn 15? Yeah, dude, we're driving. Was this year? Was it fourteen this year? Bro, I'm a year. I'm a year off. Dang, sorry, Andrew. Yeah, so no. it's run by your fifteen year old and us thirty years away from being fifteen. And yeah, right. it's it's it blows yeah. my mind. It's, it's us really forty five year olds pretending we're in high school. And I mean, just I I feel like part of the goal of that game is just to embarrass Andrew and like make him crack up. Is how oh, I look at it. <laughs> I like calling him out like when we play, last played and he's like, oh, for lunch, this is I'm like, Andrew, what day did you have that lunch for the cafeteria? And he's like, yesterday. <laughs> Whether or not that's true, I can hear him starting to incorporate his experiences. Andrew, what class did this happen in? Oh, ethnic studies. <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I love it. So for us as the host, 30 years ago, we were smack dab in high school, and that might not be the same for our listeners. So hopefully you enjoy this uh, look back wherever you were in 1994, even if you weren't born yet. You can yeah, if you weren't born yet, were well, get ready. I bet yes. you you're going to, you know, we're we're doing the things that were popular and that we remember. So I'm, I'd am i also be really interested to hear from someone who's like, hey, I'm, you know, 20 years old, and I definitely was not alive during this time, <laughs> but I know those songs and I know those you know, those movies or whatever, I would be curious or if they're, or if the opposite, like, I have no idea what you guys are talking about. It was like you were speaking another language. <laughs> I I'd had love to Google to something too. or the, 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 the most hurtful comment. Oh yeah. I remember that. My mom talked about it all the time. <laughs> oh, 100%. <laughs> all right. So my let's mom start plays with that song in the car. <laughs> yeah. My, my mom, I'm named that because my mom loved that show. You know, that's a funny tangent, by the way. Like you can just follow name trends based on popular television shows and movies. Like we're a few years away from having a lot of Bellas and Edwards in. Oh, Oh, in sure. schools, right? Like, well, at least high schools are probably already in the elementary level. But there was a point in time where like, hey, your name's Brandon, huh? 
Oh, did your mom watch 90210? <laughs> yeah, how did you know? Yeah. <laughs> Let's start with music, the music of 1994. It looks like you've got some some bands. I I chose some specific songs that I feel yeah. like take me back to that day, but let's talk about bands and we'll see if we've got some overlap. Yeah, I went I went more in the general area because this was an interesting time in pop music, right? This is mm-hmm. this is right in the height of the grunge era. Nirvana, Pearl Jam, groups like Soundgarden started coming out and like unfolding more or Sublime, right? Sublime. Was, oh, yeah. So this kind of grunge era is really hitting its stride. At the same time, there's this really big, in my opinion, some of the best hip hop. An explosion of hip hop. It became, yes. like, I think it was mid 90s when it became the most popular form of music or right. most bought albums and those kinds of things. What's What was different about hip hop in 1994 is that we had that big emergence from like NWA and this really heavy rap violent rap yeah. and then rap and hip-hop kind of turned and if you listen to rap and hip-hop from 1994 you have heavy d and the boys and we're talking about partying and having fun and it, it's just this really unique hip-hop era era that's not really it wasn't so heavy right and, and maybe it, those those that heavier rap kind of paved the way to say hey there's there's an audience here there's this is yes. popular but what if we made it so that it could actually be played on the radio without a bunch of edits and things like that and then that's where you know you could hear i see you have boys to men on your list like you yes. could hear a boys to men song on my mom's light work radio station right you know I mean? right and then you had this emergence of art or this melding of r&b and hip-hop right boys to men and and vogue and a lot of these r&b boy and girl groups suddenly were salt and pepper and vogue did a song together boys to men and ll cool j did a song together that's all starting to be born right here in 1994 so in my opinion you have new edition in the late 80s and those guys you know that group kind of disbands and you get then suddenly you get bell biv devoe and then that starts branching off to a lot of these hip-hop this this fun hip-hop rap Mm -hmm. era and it's really also starting to hit its stride in 1994 this is where we are introduced to beck Right. Um, that was one on my list. Beck's Loser came out uh, in huh? 1994. And I cannot think of another song that is more covered throughout the years. Sure, like, sure. I feel like that song just keeps coming up every year for the last 30 years because there's a new version, a new cover. It's in a mm-hmm. different movie, etc. I mean, it was such a different, right? You have this hip hop and rap and you have all this R&B and you have, you know, the grunge and, and Nirvana and and Soundgarden and all these people. And then all of a sudden you get Beck, who wasn't right. any of those, and really started to open the door that year for more artists like him. And is this time period really where we got like that separate kind of subbed out genre of alternative? Like I feel yes. like 90s alternative was started yes. kind of in this early 90s period where it's like, well, it's not quite rock and it's right. not pop. It's not quite pop. Yeah. It's yeah. alternative, you know, yeah. and it's something different where there's that creative space. And Beck is a perfect example of that. Yeah, yes, 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 yes. Primus 100%. was another one that I really liked in the 90s. It just sounded different than anything yes. else out there. It almost experimental. But not experimental. Yeah, and you know, you get a band like Weezer, 1994, mm-hmm. first album, first popular album comes out in 1994, and they really they're a little bit more alternative, depending on what you listen to. You wouldn't think that based off of their radio hits because they're. I was going to say they're one poppy. that kind of had a, a handful of radio hits on each album, yes. but if you yes. listen to the whole album, there's a lot of interesting yes. deep cuts in there. And they're very nerdy, by the way. Those guys are nerds. I will say, for what it's worth, the number one hit of 1994 on the Billboard charts, Ace of Bass. <laughs> 
That's insane because <laughs> that song sucks. I saw the sign. I saw the oh, signs. Oh, man. Not a banger. I don't oh, know what gosh. was going on. Yet in that's when that keeps popping up too. Why? Honestly, Why? I don't know. How about like teenagers right now? One of the most popular songs at like homecoming dances is Dancing Queen by ABBA. Like they will what? come filing from all corners of the bathrooms and the like wherever the like the food and drink stations are. They will come swarming to the dance floor for Dancing Queen. It's the weirdest thing. That I saw the sign as another song like that. And that might be because of Pitch Perfect. The very okay, first like is there a movie, movie or something that was very popular that yeah, brought it so back? Weird. Top hit of the year was Ace of Base. What do you have on here for? I've got for three images? songs on here that when I listen to them, it takes me back to that summer of 1994, right before my sophomore year. You and me at the uh, City College Jazz Camp uh, over Gosh, the summer yeah. with Chuck <laughs> Woods and goofing around and just that beautiful campus and hanging out and listening like on my Walkman or on my portable radio or whatever. Yep. These songs just takes me right back. And the first one is Black Hole Sun by yes. Soundgarden. Oh, I love just that song. What a vibe, that song. The other one would be Basket Case by Green Day. That Dookie uh-huh. album had come out, I think, the year my before. Goodness. And Basket Case was the radio hit of that year. Just cruising around in our cars, like with that tape in there. Or, yep. <laughs> or whatever. yep. Basket and then, Case um, was always in the, tape, in the tape deck. And then the other one is Come Out and Play by The Offspring. Oh, I haven't thought of that song in a long time. That one was funny because it would always come out. It was, it was just like, it was a quotable song in a way. At that time, I was, it was the early nineties. So everyone in Southern California was playing roller hockey and I was no Not exception. everyone, but most. <laughs> <laughs> And so, you know, we would schedule these pickup hockey games or we'd go out to the rink and see what was going on. I coached youth hockey, this and that. And for whatever reason, when it was time to play hockey, somebody would go, come out and play. And oh, wow. Come, wow, you got to keep them separated. And we would, ju- <laughs> I, I just remember like that song for no reason, except what I was doing at the time is always connected with those types of playing hockey. Like that's How a hockey funny. song for me for some reason. How funny. How about a song that's about absolutely nothing that song is about nothing at all it's about that song that song's about fighting in school it's about nothing (laughs) (laughs) now black hole sun that song is about nothing or everything i don't know i still don't understand it depends on how many drugs you did in the 90s which for us as teenagers no because i remember that music video right this is this is a point in time where Uh mtv kind of turned i was a big fan of music videos when mtv started i actually thought about being like i don't know what it would be called a cinematographer or someone who directs or creates music videos that was a career i was like is that even a career how do i go to school for that i remember black hole sun as being one of the last really good music videos and then they started to turn into goop after that it's the one where like faces are melting and i remember they like melt a barbie doll all on fire in the yard and there's like these like plastic people in this really hot like backyard swimming pool and yeah. it was like the it, they they over it was oversaturated with color yes. and made it look like it was like 1950s but they used like cgi at the time to make the eyes go whiter and the mouths go whiter and i just creepy creepy video and uh yeah i loved that video <laughs> what is that song about i i don't know <clears throat> Let's move on to TV. I don't know about you, Rob, but I, in my research and memory, I remember a lot of pop culture television Mm -hmm. in 1994. I don't remember a lot of nerdy television. So there was a big one, and that was Babylon 5. Oh, Babylon 5. I forgot about that one. Okay. All right. So 
Babylon 5 came out in 1994. That was a very, very heavily influenced by Star Trek, right? It's a spaceship. Sure. It's got a crew. Yes. They kind of, they have military like uniforms. They go on adventures. They, there's a lot of politics and, and intrigue as far as like meeting alien races and stuff like that. And it, it just, it took that Star Trek vibe and tried to do a little bit more. It was a little darker, a little grittier where yeah. Star Trek always very purposefully made sure that the universe that they lived in was a utopian one. This was a little bit more, a little bit more gritty. Some things that set Babylon 5 apart was that it was unlike syndicated TV like Star Trek, it was a full story. So it was a story that was written to be five seasons with a beginning and an end. And so every episode, they had that serialization that we would see later in the 90s with Buffy the Vampire Slayer. And then with things right, like right. Smallville that we've talked about before, it had that built in from the start because it knew where it was going and where it was going to end. And because of that, more like maybe a novel series, the characters were two-dimensional. They, they had a little bit more grit to them and world yeah. building and things like that because they knew what they could take time to do because it wasn't just a monster of the week type right show. and then it, it was it was a sci-fi show they they explored those questions right we always say good sci-fi is about asking those yes. questions or looking at ourselves through the lens of the future or through an alien species that you know what would they think if they saw it for the first time right kind of thing i will admit i was not a babylon 5 fan it was not on my radar it, right. those high school years i did give it a try probably Probably, gosh, 10 years or so later, watching it on Netflix, you know, mm -hmm. and, and looking at it and, and I get it. It was good, but I fell off for whatever reasons <laughs> it might have been. Yeah. But Babylon 5 fans, shout out to you. 1994 was your year, I guess. Yeah, I forgot about that because I couldn't, maybe I just skipped over. Maybe it just skipped over its mention in 1994. I couldn't find anything really nerdy. I will say there are some notable pop culture shows at the time. I put like Friends. I, I don't know if I think it might be first or second season of Friends at this yeah. point. That's pretty notable, you know, pop culture. I put Roseanne and I know... Oh. she's got a problematic storyline right now. But what I will tell you what I remember about Roseanne is growing up poor, Roseanne was the first show on television that was a popular show that people, millions of people watched every week that showed a family struggling to pay their bills, right? There's right. there's scenes where the, you know, Roseanne and the character's name is Dan. I'm going to forget the actor's name, but John Goodman. Thank you. I was going to say John Candy. And I knew that wasn't right. Where Roseanne Barr and John Goodman are sitting at table saying, well, if we, if we send the check for this light bill, they're not going to get it till next week. So we'll be fine. Fine, and we can call, go and walk it like they're having this discussion. You didn't see that on television. You didn't see that on Leave It to Beaver, right? You didn't see right. that. And, it, it, and what a contrast with Friends that you just mentioned, right? As far yes. as these like coastal elitists in this like right. beautiful New York apartment that costs a million right. dollars a month, and you know right. it's all about you know being being fancy and being in the big city. Completely opposite with Roseanne, right? I, exactly. And I will I will give credit to Friends. There is one episode where three of them are like, I don't think these other three realize that we don't make as much money as they do and there was like this this whole episode wrapped around it so kudos to friends who recognize it later in the series but yeah it completely opposites you're right i'm also just um you know, as we are supporters of the LGBTQ community, this is the year the Ellen show debuts, no, which no lasts five seasons. And its final season is the the big season where Ellen as a character and a person comes out of the closet. And it's that's huge pop culture. But this is the first year of that show. And as the young teen female 
1994, have to mention My So-Called Life. Not a nerdy oh. show. That's the year My So-Called Life came out and <laughs> was popular. And it was one of those ones that didn't get a second season. Who knows why? But in terms of that, like I remember those shows that impacted me. And now as we look back on 30 years, impacted pop culture a lot, but not yeah. so much nerdy, just <laughs> pop. I think shows that I was watching during this time were, I think like Star Trek The Next Generation was wrapping up and Star yeah. Trek, I think Deep Space Nine was the one after that. And then MacGyver, of course, was another kind of nerdy show that I was watching in the early 90s. But none of those came out in 94. They were already, you know, in their their later seasons by that time. You know what I just thought about? I'm looking Mm -hmm. it up real quick. When did The State come out? Was that 94? Yeah, 1994. No kidding. How did we miss that? Well, you know how we missed that? Because when you do research and say top hits of 1994, the state would not have made that list. Right. right I had right. to I had to actually look up Adam Sandler and he wasn't a thing in 1994 because Billy Madison didn't come out to 95. Ah, Your well, we know what we're talking about next year. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> That'll Spoiler alert. <laughs> Spoiler alert. Um, we're going to do the 30 year show every year and it's going to be great. Boom, boom. Um, but yeah, the oh state man, came the out state. in 1994. We were both watching that, although that's kind of one of the things that started to bridge our friendship because we didn't know we were watching. And you remember them? I remember the moment very vividly. Oh no. We were in jazz band rehearsal. Okay. Right. And the state was on the night before. And there was a really dumb sketch of guys in the army. It wasn't, it's not one of the more popular sketches, but I remember it because of this moment. In the, in the thing, there's like a sergeant giving orders. All right, everyone, we're going to do this, this, this. Me too, Sarge? Yes, you too. <laughs> Me too, Sarge? And that was the whole skit. It's not It's not yeah. one of their best. Very next day in jazz band, Mr. Garski's like, okay, we're going to blah, 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 blah. And at the same time, me and Rusty Cummings go, me too, Sarge? And then all of a sudden, you start you start cracking up. You're like, me too, Sarge? And I remember I remember Dan Garski looking around going, what the, are you guys, what? And then just moved on without saying a word. Like, uh, I remember the very really moment that, that really started to bridge our friendship. We realized we were both watching The State at home on MTV. On MTV the State's a, a sketch comedy, by the way. If you don't know, look it up. They're awesome. And you'll recognize a lot of uh, young versions of some of your favorite comedians yes. and character actors in that show yes. if you do check it yes. out. Well, there weren't a lot of nerdy television shows what about films? What do you have for films in 1994? So, yeah, it wasn't a huge year for sci-fi. But if we think about where we are with fantasy stories and kind of those nerd hobbies right now, we know that there's been a ebb and flow, but always a big interest in vampire stories. And so I will say later on, I didn't include it in the hobbies section because it wasn't something that I, I have a lot of information about. But Vampire of the Masquerade is a very popular popular like live action RPG where you you have the option to like dress up and rent out buildings and play through your RPG kind of thing. Very popular. It came out in 1994 alongside a very popular movie, Interview with a Vampire which is the one with Tom Cruise and Brad Pitt. And they're very pretty, handsome vampires, which influenced a lot of young people to think that vampires were super cool and get into that genre and and create a world around it. That was a very popular vampire movie. Two years after Buffy the Vampire Slayer movie was out and two years before the series is created. Right smack dab in the middle of those two. 
And then other movies, there were some, probably some, what we would think of as like kind of throwaway action movies, but mm-hmm. I definitely remember going to see them right in the theater. One was Speed with Keanu Reeves. That was one of his a breakthrough hit when he was super popular in the, uh, in the nineties. And then another one was an Arnold Schwarzenegger movie, True Lies. And that's the oh, one True with Lies Jamie Lee Curtis, good. which was very, very popular at the time as well. To round off my list, I will, I'll throw it to you because Shawshank Redemption came out in 1994. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And, you know, we'll talk about what our next episode is. That might actually even be mentioned again next episode because it it came out in 94, but it was not popular. It kind of bombed in the box office. Maybe. Oh, if that's the case, then that's for sure a cult classic. I was just looking up Rumble in the Bronx, but that was also that's going to be next year's 30s episode because it was 1995. Mm. The same in terms of nerd movies. The top movie of 1994 was The Lion King, which you can say is nerdy because even though it wasn't written as a musical, these Disney movies that came out at the time absolutely were musicals. And it was like a sneaky way for America to love musicals between Beauty and the Beast and The Little Mermaid. This is The Lion King. I think that trilogy of films that came out boom, boom, boom from Disney is what really elevated it because after this, it's just Mulan and Hunchback and Notre Dame. And they just kept going and going and going and going. And this was the the, uh... That was the era. What's the Michael? That's the Michael Eisner era of Disney where yes, um, yeah. that style of movie starting with the little mermaid absolutely mm-hmm. turned the Disney animation studio around, like saved it basically and revamped yeah. it. Oh, the, totally. The juggernaut it. of entertainment. It still is today. It's the Howard Ashman and Alan Menken era and Howard mm-hmm. Ashman passes away during the making of beauty and the beast. I don't know. I think he writes half of Aladdin. Then they bring Tim Rice on to write the rest of Aladdin. And the lion King was the question about whether or not they were going to be able to continue that success without Howard Ashman. That's what I remember. Like everyone's on edge. Is the Lion King going to be good? And, you know, they bring on Elton John to help write the lyrics and Lion King is the top film in 94. I put a couple of things on there, depending if you're a nerd of these things. If you're a nerd of history, this is the year Forrest Gump. Big blockbuster came out. And if you've never seen Forrest Gump, one, I recommend it. But two, they used this new technology of being able to green screen and put someone in a scene that they weren't in before. And they put the character Forrest Gump throughout decades of American history as an auxiliary character. Kind of like, I mean, think about the quantum leap, quantum leap thing, but he's yeah. not leaping. He's living his life. So Forrest Gump is out there in 94. Pulp Fiction right. brings us Quentin Tarantino. And if you're a Quentin Tarantino nerd, this is this is really his big, big breakthrough hit. And Pulp Fiction is, to this day, still so good. Yeah, I mean, everybody was talking about Pulp Fiction. It was so mm-hmm. different. It was so edgy. It was so exciting, especially for high school kids. It was this yes. kind of forbidden thing. Like, it was a very rated R movie, and so it was yes. a little bit tricky to kind of get right. your hands on it and see it. Uh-huh. I remember watching it one night. It's funny that Russ Cummings comes up a second time in this episode. <laughs> hey, I watched it at his house, like, late at night. Maybe not. Too like his parents night, weren't his parents were out to dinner or yeah. something and yeah. we watched it there yeah it was it was for us as teenagers you're absolutely correct it was just a different way to tell stories too and in a real gritty violent but good way i mean it was yeah it's still it still holds up there's well, a couple super there's well language acted. pieces in it yeah oh yeah absolutely big cast just very good and how about ultimate nerds Ner- revenge of the nerds at this point is on like mm. number four or five and people are kind of done with it so you get a new kind of nerd and the emergence of jim carrey <laughs> would 
Dumb and Dumber. Dumb now, I know he did movies before and after this, but this was really Jim Carrey was on In Living Color. And actually, hold on. Was In Living Color 94? Because if I missed that one too, In I Living feel Color. Like that would have come up in the research. It started in 1990. So, you know, that Jim Carrey becomes a little bit of a household name through In Living Color. And then he's in a couple of films. And then this one really breaks out. Dumb and Dumber is a widely popular movie. Those guys are nerds. You and I are, I'll say we're big fans of Adam Sandler. Adam Sandler and and Happy Madison Productions do not exist at this point in time. Ah. He is an SNL star trying to break out into movies. And 94 is when Airheads came out. And it's not a great film. I but like it's Airheads. I totally it's not, like it's that not movie. A great, liking it and it being a good movie are two separate things. So uh, I'll just say that. <laughs> it's Brendan Fraser, Adam yes. Sandler, and Steve Buscemi. Was it Steve Buscemi? Or why am I thinking Polly Shore? It's not a Polly Shore movie. It's not. Okay. I don't Air think. Heads cast. Brand, you're right. Steve Buscemi. You were right on. Yep. Chris Farley plays a part. Judd Nelson is in it. Michael McKeon. David Arquette. There's there's a lot of actors in this film. A lot of SNL type folks. A lot of SNL. And yes, that's you're a, right. Yeah, that's a perfect example of a Saturday Night Live movie in the early 90s. Yeah, yeah, you're right. But man, Airheads, 1994. Did you have anything else on movies? I was just going to say, like, it's oh, sort—it's one of those movies, like you said, it's not good, but I really like it. And so I was saying, like, what's another one like that? And it's like, Ladies Man. <laughs> you quote Ladies Man all the time, and it's such a horrible film, but it's hilarious. <laughs> Ugh. another saturday night Live. like that that's yeah. the that's like what, what would we say that was 10 years later there was airheads and then the next generation was ladies man 10 years later i mean there's all kinds of in between right i i i don't know what that category is actually called but i call it dumb humor because it's around all the time 10 years would be surprising to me but you get that you get all of those types of movies and i keep thinking i keep going back to the state Right. Cause then you get mm. Reno 911 and you get, Oh, I'm going to blink on this film. It's one of, it, it's a dark comedy that I love. And it's written by the guys from the state. Why can't I think of it? It's a beauty pageant with Christy Alley and Kirsten Dunst. Actually, uh, I can't believe I'm blanking on this film. It's, I had it on VHS and I watched it all the time. Drop Dead Gorgeous? Yes. Thank you. Drop Dead Gorgeous is, is a little bit dark, but it's one of those kind of dumb, funny movies you get. You get old school. You get the Will Ferrell starting to come out and make movies old school and dodgeball. And to me, that's all that same era. era See, I think same genre. absolutely same era. There's There's something that puts some of them get put apart. So for instance, like there are all these kind of Saturday Night Live throwaway comedy movies, but every once in a while you'll get a Ghostbusters and every once in a while you'll get an Anchorman. And there are these movies that are like better. They're good they all the way They kind of transcend right. the SNL movie. Like Coneheads came out in 94. We didn't mention Coneheads because it flopped. It's not a good movie. Right. It was, they were funny. It was a funny sketch on Saturday Night Live. Did not translate into films. Wayne's World, a couple of years earlier. Blockbuster transcends. That's another interesting topic for a uh, future show. Saturday <laughs> Night Live films. What are those yeah. Saturday Night Live films that transcend the, the throwaway comedy? It's noted and on our Boom. list of She's ideas. She's got a pencil out and everything, you guys. I'm a podcaster, bro. All right. <laughs> <clears throat> Comic books. Books. This was an awful year for books, too. I looked up like the oh, really? New York Times bestsellers list and it's like, oh gosh. And even Stephen King, one of my lower on the list in terms of favorites, Insomnia, it's okay. It's okay. I really have nothing here for comic books. What do you have? 
Book-wise, there were two, at least two, maybe three, really big drops in 1994. 1994, believe it or not, which I would not have guessed that this book was that old, but A Song of Ice and Fire by George R.R. R. Martin. That's the first book in the Game of Thrones series, which oh. got hugely popular a few years ago, and okay. everybody was watching that. I did not realize that that book was almost I didn't know they were that old, old at the time yeah. of that show being made. So that's very interesting that I learned during the research of this. And then the other one would be The Wheel of Time by Robert Jordan. This is... I mean, looking at the, the research, 80 million copies of this book were sold oh, in 1994. This is one of those fund, like foundational fantasy novel series turned into a dozen books long. They're all four inches thick. It's <laughs> world building at its finest. It's a fantasy book. It's long. It's dense. It's very, very detailed to, ever, to the nth degree, which some people really like. Those folks that love the tabletop hobbies, that we love, but the part of it that they love is like the min-maxing and the gamifying and the meta and the damage right. per second and the make the perfect army list kind of people. Right. They love this kind of book, okay. right? It's It's okay. got all the details. It's got everything you need. It is not a series that I have read because it was real long and real intimidating yeah. to me. Uh, yeah. But I do remember folks in my D&D group in high school reading these books and loving these books and having them on the shelves. There is also I don't know what happened to it. I'm hoping it's still going, but they started a Wheel of Time TV series, I think on HBO Max. And from what I heard, it was it was super good. And then I think it was, gosh, that was either right before pandemic times or right before writer strike times. And <laughs> I don't know if the second season ever got made. I was excited about that because I'm like, oh, finally, I could like get this story and figure out what the Wheel of Time is all about. There is a comic book series on it. And I started reading the comic book series and it was also really boring and dense. So I did <laughs> that as well. We just slam all the nerds that love. <laughs> just slam my Robert Jordan nerds on the podcast, but. Well, um, I'm glad you you looked them up because I saw those books and I not being in the fantasy realm very often in terms of books and literature. I saw them and went eh and didn't even bother to look to see that they were nerd books. So I'm glad I'm glad you looked that up. Now, comic book wise, yes, we had some heavy hitters as well as far as these like memorable touchstone series. First one, Death of Superman. Right, which I think we've talked about on the podcast before. Yeah, on the um, Superman episode. Yeah, Superman died in 1994. Now that story right. arc started in 1992, so it's kind of a cheat there. But it ended in 94, and it ended sure. with Superman getting his head smashed in by Darkseid, and then the funeral and the black armbands with your purchase yeah. of the comic and all this mm-hmm. stuff. That it was, was a big deal. Another one was one of the most probably hated Spider-Man stories ever, which was the Clone Saga. The Clone Saga is from 1994 is often very much made fun of as far as like comic books done wrong as far as creators and writers leading the audience one way to pull the rug out from under them or out from under them or being just confusing to the point of what am I reading here (laughs) kind of thing this is then the creation of Ben Riley Spider-Man right so Ben Riley is the is the Peter Parker clone who also has spider powers you would recognize him as if you've ever seen the pictures of like Spider-Man and he's wearing a hoodie. It'll be like a red oh, yeah. Spider-Man yeah, thing. Yeah, he's got yeah, like yeah. a blue hoodie on. That's yeah. Ben Riley Spider-Man. Okay. Okay. And um, he was running around and it's very confusing. People, you know, 
people of the nerd community and at that time hate Ben Riley. <laughs> to this day, like you put out a comic book with Ben Riley, it's going to make controversy and people are going to hate on it. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> ben Riley was stupid goody and all this stuff. So. Yeah, that was the Clone Saga. That came out in 94. Okay. And then another one was X-Men Age of Apocalypse. And that was a storyline that came out in 94 as well. Age of Apocalypse was one of the coolest storylines. I don't know if reading it today holds up because, okay. you know, comics were a lot wordier 30 years ago. Yes, there was a were. lot more, you know, now it would be a rarity to open a comic book and see a thought bubble in it. Right. right. They're really, right. the art has evolved with the show, not tell of the art so that you don't have to have that thought bubble of the character describing what they're doing as they're doing it. The artist can show you that now. So you'll just right. get those, you know, the voice bubbles. But back then, man, every page had to have a big yellow box telling you what was going on and mm-hmm. a thought bubble from the character telling you what was going on. And a lot of times they say it out loud, what's going yes. on. Yes. <laughs> like, so I don't know if it's an easy read anymore. But this was a super influential storyline. The X-Men cartoon of the 90s hit this one really hard in their later seasons as well. The X-Men cartoon of the oh. 90s was awesome as far as taking these big X-Men events and making like a four-part month-long Saturday morning cartoon story of it. And one of my favorites is Age of Apocalypse. It's the big evil bad guy alien and he's got his four horsemen and this is where angel turns into archangel because he gets all evilified with his big metal wings from apocalypse magic and stuff it's really cool and very 90s and then this was also the storyline for the x-men movie was the movie also called age of apocalypse i don't remember it being called that yeah, no, X-Men Apocalypse. Apocalypse, um, but not Age yeah. of. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This was, I, this was like the reboot one, right? So there was the first X-Men movies came out, and I think there were three or four of them yeah. that had, you know, it had uh, Patrick Stewart as Professor X, and it had right. uh, yes, yes, yes. Halle Berry and stuff. This is a new cast. This is when they rebooted right. it. They mm-hmm. rebooted it with the Apocalypse storyline. And while it's a very comic book movie, and it has comic book movie problems, it's pretty great. <laughs> I, yeah. I, I guess it's, it's a pretty fun movie. It, it might be my favorite X-Men movie because I love that storyline. I think yeah. Apocalypse is super dope. And uh, I remember reading and watching the cartoon of it and stuff. Like It was super cool. I'm glad you did a lot of research on that one because I looked at comic books and went, what? <laughs> <laughs> I definitely wasn't. I was reading horror comic books at this time, right? This is right about oh. the time I got my job at McDonald's and I would walk from on payday, walk from McDonald's down to the Santa Barbara Bank and Trust and cash my check because I didn't have a bank account. And then I'd walk my cash back and I'd go to Metro Comics and get my instead of superhero comic books, I was reading horror ones, which don't have any, there's none that I can say like, oh, it's this, 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 because whatever. You had graduated like, oh. from your super racist Tintin comic books from the bookmobile. <laughs> they're not racist. They're just French. Mm-hmm. <laughs> hey, you got to place everything in the time. Yes, I had stopped reading Adventures of Tintin and had moved to horror comics. What about hobbies? What were you doing in 1994? I was playing Dungeons and Dragons in 1994. I was and playing... And? What's the other nerd game you were playing like mad in 1994 oh magic the gathering yeah 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 <laughs> but but that's yeah that's magic what the gathering I, oh. 
came out in 1993, but yeah, I was playing it in 1994. Like once some of the, uh, some of our friends in high school had gotten into it and, and right. discovered it. And then we were like, well, we got to get magic cards. And that's where that Saturday job money started going was the magic card addiction. Little did we know that 30 years from now, it would still be going strong. It would still be, I mean, they're still, they're, they're selling a set every quarter and selling oh, they come up with out. something new. And they, I yeah. think they're, I think they are they might still be the top money maker for Hasbro, right? I wouldn't uh, be if, I wouldn't be surprised. If if not, then it's like them and Barbie um and Transformers. They're up yeah. at the top. So interesting story tying these together. I okay. was also playing Dungeons and Dragons. This was the era of second edition Dungeons and Dragons. Third edition mm. didn't come out till two thousand, which is funny okay. because first edition didn't last very long. Like it came out, it gained some popularity and right away it was like, oh we gotta like tweak these rules and make this something a little yeah. bit bigger, right? So I'm not sure how many years first edition lasted, but it wasn't very long. Second edition lasted forever. Right. Cause if we're talking first edition coming out in 79 in 1994, I was still playing second, edition. second edition. Right. And at that time it was TSR was the company. Okay. A new company, Wizards of the Coast created right. Magic the Gathering. It was so popular and made so much money that the creators of Magic the Gathering were like, you know, we are super nerds and we play Dungeons and Dragons and we think we could do a better job or we could make some improvements. We want to make sure Dungeons and Dragons doesn't go away. They bought Dungeons and Dragons and Dungeons and Dragons okay. became a Wizards of the Coast property. Okay. It basically was subsidized by Magic the Gathering. It came out with a new edition in 2000 with third edition. And all of that was paid for because Dungeons and Dragons doesn't make money. It right. never has. It never will. You right. can play Dungeons and Dragons with one $30 book for 10 years, right? You right. don't, it doesn't have cash flow. It doesn't right. have that like Magic the Gathering. Every quarter, here's 250 new cards you need to buy to be competitive in Magic right. the Gathering. Right. right. It doesn't have that built in. So it just supported Dungeons and Dragons all the way through third edition. That's funny. And fourth edition, when World of Warcraft was super popular, Hasbro was like, wait, this all comes from Dungeons and Dragons, right? And they're like, yeah. And they're like, and you make Magic the Gathering? Yeah, it's a billion dollar a year company. Cool. We'll buy that. And Hasbro then bought Wizards of the Coast, the whole company, and put them under right. the umbrella. It is interesting to think that Dungeons and Dragons would be very different or maybe not even exist anymore. If it wasn't for Magic the Gathering, that that's those guys saved it. That's really funny. And I will say, I, I was wondering, I was thinking while you were talking about that age gap between second edition and third edition, I half wonder if TSR as a small company just didn't want to invest in continuing to update it with all of that Moms of America backlash in the 80s about sure. D&D being demonic and it's satanic and you shouldn't play it. I imagine they probably just didn't want to. They probably had ideas throughout all those de that those two decades, the 80s and 90s, but didn't have the funding or too scared to put the money into updating it. They were still selling books and selling a yes. ton of books. I mean, I had bookshelves full of the complete player's handbook and the complete wizard's right. handbook and this new addition to the monster manual and that new addition to the monster manual and this new adventure module. But it was very difficult for anyone new to get in. If you were right. thinking like, oh, I've heard of Dungeons and Dragons. What is it? You walk into your store. You might not have even been able to find the player's handbook. Right. Just a bunch of these extra kind of supplements. It's like, well, where do I start? What do I do? This is so complicated. 
complicated right. and confusing. It was just too much. It, it outlasted its usefulness as far as just getting too kludgy and too complicated. And I think that was a big thing. Like a new company, they're like, let's start over because we're a company and we want to right. sell books. So we're going right. to create a new edition. We're going to start over a new player's handbook, be new player friendly, all that kind of stuff. All thanks to Magic the Gathering. Any other hobbies that you had? Uh, I did just note that Warhammer 40K was in its third edition in 1994. 11th edition just came out this year. Wow. So let you know wow. <laughs> how quickly that company moves with their editions. They know how to sell books and models. <laughs> Every yeah, three years did. you get a new edition. I was just talking to our friend Nick yesterday. We were talking about Warhammer and he's like, man, you know, I've got these two boys and they're kind of interested when they see the art and stuff. I'm thinking about getting back into it. And we're like, yeah, I remember when we used to play in college. He's like, yeah, I think that was fifth edition I'm like, yeah 11th just came out Jeez. <laughs> it's time to put some money in it nick if you're gonna have <laughs> your, your boys playing it it's so funny that we are best friends and we were we were emerging that best friendship around this time but i wasn't into any of that mm. at all I did not play D&D with you. I do remember hanging out with our friends. I, just basically any break, lunch break. Occasionally, we wouldn't have rehearsal in band period. So mm -hmm. y'all would just bust out your magic cards and play. And I just sit there twiddling my thumbs, which was fine. Like I had fun watching you play, well, watching our friends play. And you guys are all getting all aggro about it and stuff. And we played other card games too that were just whatever card games that everyone plays when they're teens. I do remember Let me sitting... Think about that. Like we had those cards just like put together with a rubber band bouncing around mm -hmm. in the bottom of our mm -hmm. backpacks. Some of those cards are worth like hundreds of thousands of dollars. Oh yeah, if you had, had kept right your now. collection, yeah, <laughs> you, you would have been like, I can retire this year off of my Magic the Gathering cards from 1994. And now they could have all fancy carrying cases and all that. But uh, yeah, I didn't do that. I, for me, hobbies were like, were like reading and listening to music and watching MTV and stuff like that. But I will say one thing that really got my attention when doing Doing some research for this episode was a side-by-side -side picture of hobbies stuff from 1994 and now the picture of 1994 had a big brick of a cell phone because people didn't have cell phones Be pagers weren't even a thing but yeah. the people who did have cell phones it was like you know hundred dollars a minute or something like that and they were big giant bricks but really 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 wealthy pe wealthy people were able to use a cell phone that might be able to call a line and might like it just wasn't great but people were people who, who were wealthy were with that big brick of a cell phone i'll also say you know like what we would call a laptop now, a, a portable mm. computer or big giant, talk about four inch books. These were like four inch little teeny things that might mm. be able to do a couple things. It had a Walkman. It had a Polaroid camera because digital cameras weren't a thing. I put on there, I put on the list Blueberry. I think I mean Blackberry or like Palm right. Pilot. People oh, yeah. had Palm Pilots, which was like a And they a were digital... not internet connected. Like they were not No internet connection, cellular. but it was- They were just a digital- yeah. Calendar yeah. book. Yeah. That kept your contacts, like phone numbers and addresses and your calendar, like, but no, it didn't, no internet connection. And now- all of these, oh, and a big VHS recorder, like those big honking VHS recorders that you could like put your VHS tape in and record stuff. Oh, and yeah. All of these things in this picture from 1994. And today, today we have a singular device that can do all of it and Everything. more than we could have ever imagined in 1994. Like the things we can do with ChatGPT and Spotify or Apple Music or YouTube, we would have never been e able to even I mean, dream about. Maps, the weather, sports yes. scores all the yes. things that i used to have to like go to the pile of newspapers in my house right. every day to go right. find 
like we did it. We in 1994, I was like on my knees on the carpet of our floor looking for the box score of the LA Kings game yes. so I could see what happened because yes. I didn't watch it the night before, and it's not like right. it was DVR or stream it from somewhere. Yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. No, so I had I to go about read movies. the box store. You had to open the newspaper to get what movies were playing and at right. what time. Right. Right. This was even before movie phone existed. <laughs> right. Because then after that, they, there was you know you know welcome to movie phone you know if you know the name of the movie you'd like to watch it was bonkers bonkers internet exists the world wide web wasn't even called the internet at the time the world wide web existed but again it was huge giant room it wasn't a consumer it wasn't consumer. no it was still being messed with so just to think that we've been alive for these 30 years as teenagers and had to do everything everything analog and now (laughs) We get a little annoyed when ChatGPT doesn't give us exactly what we want. Like, <laughs> just I, for me, in terms of hobbies, just the way we approach our hobbies now. I mean, a we're adults. We have a little. We have expendable income, which you don't have when you're 15. There's there's differences along those ways in terms of just maturation in life. But the things we can do now with our hobbies. I mean, kids are making. I won't say kids. People are making movies with their phones. Yeah. There are teenagers who make more money than you and I combined making content on TikTok and YouTube. Like the things that they are able to do that I wonder what we would have done and how much fun we would have had with that should had that that technology been available when we were 15 um, when our creative juices are just flowing out of control with hormones like just how much different and and free time (laughs) and free time exactly Uh, in terms of hobbies for me it was just that i'm kind of still do the same i read i like watching sports I watch movies. I'm still really into pop culture things, but now it's just on one device. That's it. It fits in my pocket. <laughs> mm-hmm. Crazy. Never without it. The last little category we have here is gaming. I know you and I really, yeah. we're not big video gamers now. We were, I think we're, I would categorize us both as once in a while. Depends on the game. Social I'm lucky gaming. to have a 15 year old in the house that likes to play video games. So I kind of get that <laughs> fix by looking over his shoulder every once in a while and, and checking out what's out there. Yeah, no, no video games for me. It's all the time that I have for the last good chunk of years has been spent on my tabletop hobbies and my painting right. and, and those right. kinds of games and video games just don't have a place for me right now anymore. I do once in a while. It depends on the game. It, and we did get one of the newer Nintendo Switches. Mm-hmm. Uh, what, two Christmases? The newest one came out, the OLED, like two Right, they changed ago. the screen for like better yeah. blacks and less glare and stuff. Yeah. Yeah, and it's great. And we play Mario Kart sometimes. And when you and Andrew were visiting, I showed you this uh, Lovecraftian type game that I got that I was stuck on. And Andrew was like, there you go. And we were having fun watching it. I, I like enjoy that. But it, but same. It's not as much as we, we used to. But in 1994, when we were going to San Marcos Lanes. Oh, yeah. You know what that number one game was? What was it? Street Fighter. Oh, sure. You know what the number two game was? No. Cruising USA. Dude, I love me some Cruising USA. We put so much money into Cruising uh, USA cruising. in 1994. Oh, my, oh, my gosh. gosh. Those were the two popular arcade games. And I will note, Street Fighter was so popular, there were different versions of it on the top list of games for, for 1994. And that was the year the Street Fighter movie came out. It was so popular. So Street Fighter was the thing in 1994. So the other video game, like the other arcade game that I had on my list was Tekken. I don't remember if you remember Tekken. I remember Tekken. But it was like a different kind of, it was a different kind of Street Fighter, right? It yes. just had, it had a different art style and it had different different 
archetypes. And I remember thinking it was super cool. Like I remember thinking like, oh, wow, this is way cooler than Street Fighter. Look at this new thing. You could be. And I loved the the drunken master, like yes. martial yes. artist guy. And he was so hard to play, but I loved playing him because he's yes. so funky and all moving yes. around. Just very, it was, it was that updated, like, look what we can do with Street Fighter now with these kinds of graphics and controls game that I remember about it. But Street Fighter outlasted it. It's, oh, it's 100%. crazy. Street Fighter is yeah. still going strong. Mm-hmm. I put some stuff on devices in terms of gaming. If we mm-hmm. just place ourselves in 1994, I think the quote I saw is year of the cartridge. Oh, is what it is but you have the super nintendo system which is where instead of the cartridge on top and it was smaller and the graphics were better the sony playstation debuts in 1994 and that was the first one that ran on a cd right not a cartridge first one that ran on a cd and it was a big deal and it really signals the end of the sega genesis for years it, since the 80s it was nintendo or sega nintendo mm-hmm. or sega and that was the big battle and the genesis sega really just disappears very quickly after sony releases the PlayStation. Sony comes and just changes the culture big time for gaming. I did not have a Sega. I had a Super Nintendo. And so we had Super Nintendo, yeah. The games that came out in 94 that I remember was Donkey Kong Country, which people <laughs> love. I, I, yes. I didn't understand. I was like, oh, yeah, well, there was a Donkey Kong game, but now there's like a Donkey Kong family and whatever. No. There's Donkey Kong lore now. I mean, because of this game and like Donkey Kong Jr. just took off into this whole other universe of Donkey Kongness. And I think that started there because it went from, you know, Donkey Kong was nothing. It was an ape throwing barrels down stairways. But Donkey Kong Country opened up the universe. (laughs) That is the DKU. DKU, (laughs) that's funny. (laughs) (laughs) Got me. DKU. All right, go on. The other one was Final Fantasy VI. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I remember... I mean, Final Fantasy IV was probably my like, favorite RPG. I think we've had segments on the show talking about RPG video games before and like really hitting Final Fantasy. Those Final Fantasy games were super cool. Yeah. I didn't play, I don't think I played Final Fantasy VI, but man, did I spend a lot of time sitting on the floor in, on the carpet in, in Randall Glenn's bedroom watching <laughs> him play it and, uh, how cool I thought the graphics were and all that kind of stuff as it had advanced from, from what I was used to. The other one I mentioned was something that I had never heard of before, but I did want to make note that 1994 was the year of a PC game called Warcraft colon Orcs and Humans. And this was like a progenitor to what would become World of Warcraft. Yes. The most popular out of control video game that ever lived. (laughs) So (laughs) that's where it got its start. Right on. I will also say, even though the Super Nintendo did not come out in 1994, it was largely the most popular console in America. Do you remember why? Do you remember the big deal about Super Nintendo and the change of those cartridges? It was, it had a different cartridge. It had a top loading cartridge, right? Mm -hmm. No, it was different about them. The big deal was those cartridges that were top loading had four slots in which you could save your oh, game. of course. Yes. 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 So think about think about that. If you are a younger listener, if you are a millennial listener, we used to have to play video games and like pause it to go eat dinner or go do our chores or do homework and hope that the Nintendo didn't overheat and puts right. out because you would have lost your progress. Right. And then there was, video there games. Was, you always had to start back at the beginning. Yeah. Or video games started to the, the those original Nintendo games started to have little codes. When you made it, you had to have your pencil and paper nearby. I 
still do doing my podcast. You had to have your pencil and paper nearby to be like level seven code. Da, 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 da. And you'd write down that code after you beat that level so that the next time you turn the video mm. game on, you can input that code and start where you left off. And then you get to Super Nintendo, which all of a sudden you could say four games, but it wasn't on the console. It was in the cartridge. It was on the cartridge. So if that little... cartridge got ruined, your save progress was over. <laughs> if you were like me and had multiple siblings and then you'd get so mad because someone would override your saved game like what did you do no <laughs> like oh that was the thing in 1994 that's that's where we were like that just triggered a whole lot of memories for me when i saw that fact i remember like that brings up a memory for me as well as like my dad was committed to beating super mario brothers Oh, yes. And this was, you know, we didn't have YouTube videos to tell us that you could speed run it and go here to warp this and skip this level like this. Like, we're just playing it. And you had to start from the beginning every Mm -hmm. stinking time. Mm -hmm. And I remember him playing and he was gotten pretty far. And I was like, oh, I want to stay up and see if dad could do it. And I was like, no, he's, you know go to bed because more likely than not the same thing's gonna happen that happened last night and he's gonna yes. <laughs> fall in the lava or whatever but he did he beat it he i remember waking up the next morning and he's like guess what i beat super mario <laughs> brothers oh, you did oh my- I, I can't it. believe i missed it and he never played it again oh, no. <laughs> nope it, no why would yeah he? but it was it was hard it. it took hours you found it the princess hours to beat that game back in the day yeah and again, you, you had to like pause it or you had to like, mm-hmm. you're at a level that hasn't started yet and you leave it on and you hope that like nothing bumps into that reset button or the plug doesn't come unplugged or right. you get up and go to the bathroom, come back and go outside. I remember constantly touching the the top of it going, are you overheating? Are you overheating? No, you're okay. <laughs> like, I know some of our friends would pause a game and try to hope that it was still running when we got, when they got back home after school. Yep. Oh, gosh. I'm so glad we don't have to do that anymore. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Now look at what we've got. <laughs> we got these like sandbox open world games where you can do anything. Amazing. Hey, nerds, if there's anything we missed from 1994, write to us, find us, text us, slide into our DMs, do whatever you need to do. Tell us what we missed about 1994 and the favorite things that you either experienced or you read about because you looked them up after our episode. That was a fun little trip down memory lane, and I am looking forward to doing it again next season because I think this is really cool. Next season can be fun. It's good times. it's that time what's the nerdiest thing you did this week you know i didn't have a very nerdy week so what i'm gonna say is when we're recording we're right towards the end of january we're right in the middle of playoff football and of (laughs) course i'm super invested in it because the team i've been following since the 80s the san francisco 49ers are having a great season and are in the playoffs and heading to the nfc championships as of record record date you and people that you play fantasy football with which i don't play fantasy football and I think I can't remember, but I might have told you the number one reason why is I'm so superstitious that I can't not pick my team and I can't not pick my players. <laughs> and it's just not how you do fantasy football. Right. right. So I just I stay away from it. Place. Right. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I stay away from it because I will always superstitiously pick my teams. You invited me into a playoff 
what is the it? bracket, bracket challenge yeah the, the bracket yeah. challenge on espn and as of today i oddly have not lost a game and i'm gonna knock on wood. yeah i was gonna say you brought this up because you're smoking <laughs> us and you're you're gonna win is why <laughs> i'm but i'm i'm bringing it up because i've been obsessed with it waiting like how is this a thing because i wrote like we have a little chat group and even in the chat group maria's like analytics really let me down and like i know adam just researches and research and i know you two talk about it and text about it all the time i went on instinct oh my and gosh so, I, I'm like, well, let's see. Uh, you know, oh, the Bucks are having a better season. The Eagles were really on a downside, and I hate the Eagles, so I'm going to choose the Bucks. And like, that's how I made my choices. <laughs> Honestly, if 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 fantasy football has taught me anything, it's that you should never gamble on sports because <laughs> I'll look at everything I can think of. I'll weigh all the options. I'll look at the experts. I'll, I mean, I looked at history of when the teams played each other last. I looked at who's gonna be, who's the home team. Who are the cold weather teams? I looked at the key injuries. I looked at their records. I looked at all this stuff. I made a huge spreadsheet and color coded it and it did nothing for me. I'm not gonna win. <laughs> and I'm calling it nerdy just because now I'm doing all of that, which I yep. didn't do before. But I don't think even if I'd done that before, I would have changed my answers because I can't not pick the 49ers. And I remember <laughs> texting that to you like, I'm the best mark to take my 20 bucks because... I- I have to pick the Niners to win, no matter what that path looks like. And actually, the bracket, because we each got to do two brackets, the bracket that's 100% as of right now was my B bracket. It was the one where I'm going to go a little wonky on this one. There you go. Yeah, so I've been nerdy, but I love football anyways. I always have. My whole family's all Raiders fans. I somehow took to the 49ers. I can't really find an impetus for when that happened, but I'm learning now that a lot of my family that lived in Fresno when I was growing up, they're 49ers fans. Oh, I probably sure, heard it sense. from them. And also, I remember watching Joe Montana, whereas the Raiders games were boring and they they showed more fighting in the stands than they did the game <laughs> yeah. when they used to be in the Coliseum in the, in the 80s. And I just, I don't, something grabbed me about the 49ers. So I, I'm always nerdy this time of year and superstitious and I have my, you know, I have to have this certain lunch on game days and i have to do wear this certain thing I didn't and, know that. and i had it oh yeah i'm so superstitious i really i that's actually kind of been a lifelong secret how superstitious i like there's no shaving on game days like it, there's a lot there's a lot let's so, put sports on our 30 year retrospect for next year oh yeah 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 what was happening 30 years ago in sports that's a good one yeah. that's a good one maybe we'll let's do that for the newsletter this time oh good idea but that's the nerdiest thing i did this week was obsess over football and trying to i'm glad you're in because i've been nerding out about football <laughs> for the last couple seasons doing the stupid fantasy football thing and i'm glad you're in it it makes it it makes it fun to watch the games it, it makes does. it like it you get another text group that you can like talk crap in and stuff mm-hmm. so I, I think it's real yeah. fun i'm glad you're doing it well, um, i was so superstitious i steal all our money I, I don't know about that i i will see there's still plenty of points to be had on these later games so that's what i you know that's what i remember the last time i did a bracket like this was one for football and one for march madness when i was a few years out of college and i didn't always do it i did the same thing i just kind of went on instinct oh i like this mascot more so i'm gonna choose this one for the march madness and i won one once because i chose some crazy upset national champion i like zeroed out most of my bracket but that last championship game is worth so much that i went from last place to first place because nobody else picked this team to win so that's what i'm saying like i don't know that it's over yet just because i haven't lost a game yeah it makes it makes it more fun and a little bit a little bit more exciting i like sports betting i only did it 
when I lived in Vegas, like on small, like $5 bets, I never did it for fun. I did it for this very purpose. Like some yeah. of those prop bets, like a safety is going to be the first thing scored. Oh, I'm going to put five bucks on it. That's kind of fun. Those kind so, of bets are, are, are fun. And I did it and it makes, you're right. It makes it, there's another layer to watching the games. It, yeah. It's given us like this little community of like something to talk about for the next couple yeah. of weeks on, on the weekends. Right. So I like that because again, you know, one of my goals is to keep connecting around games and stuff like yeah. I like to do. And yeah. this is another way to do that. Tangent. Have you yeah. seen these platforms and I they're like AI platforms for arbitrage betting? Get this. So there's all these different gambling, like sports gambling platforms on yeah. that are digital, right? Like these online yeah. betting places. There's DraftKings, there's MGM, whatever. There's a dozen of them, let's say. Yeah. So these tools, you subscribe to this service and it AI like scans them all the time and finds out where they have opposites. So they'll look at like, oh, MGM has the Lakers three to one to win against the Pistons, but DraftKings has the Pistons to win two to one over the Lakers. And what it's saying is it matches those up and then you bet on both both. because knowing you're going to lose one, but you're going to win one. It finds those opposites. So no matter what, you're going to make money. Arbitrage betting. That's crazy. I know. I want to get into it, but I know it's going to be another time sink. <laughs> it, I, I can't imagine all the time that that would take to continually seek those out because Vegas, they change they change the odds all the time. Right. So you you've have got to, to get in at it. that right moment. Exactly. Yeah. So that's the yeah. other thing is like, so these platforms are expensive too. Like the one I was leaning towards, I think it's called Odds Jam because it's very okay. professional. It'll, it'll give you alerts when it finds them, but you got to go do it before go right those then. odds yeah. change. Right. So yeah, I don't know. Maybe it would have been fun. Like when I had summers off also they're expensive it's like 80 bucks a month for the service which if you're using it all the time you could cover that That no problem but you got i'm like i I would have to like every day be on top of this and i don't think i can do it (laughs) you know i never did in vegas but i think it would be fun to be in vegas for like a super bowl and pay to go to like a super bowl party in which you're just looking at those prop bets because they continually add them throughout the game and you're just putting a few dollars like oh so you can sit in the sports book and just keep doing them as the game's going on as long as you're ahead of event yeah they would do big super bowl parties you had to like buy a ticket but it's all you can eat food over here and it's you're in the sports book and it's just rowdy and you've got people who are fans of the teams that are in super bowl but then you got people just doing this constant prop betting like that just sounds like fun i actually did see an app about prop bets like over or under that's going to be the only thing you have to decide so is you know are the lakers going to score over or under 102 points like they're making betting really interesting but i'm not going to get into it well <laughs> i'm not going to get me a nap if you could think of something fun to gamify it like that i did convince maria to we could do a super bowl party with yes! our with our group with our playoff bracket group so Love for the it. last game to see who who gets Love the big it. win we could all get together if you want to make the drive down we'll uh all right I will, I will look up, uh, I will look stuff up. But I would love yeah. to gamify it that way or like do a that little, like, you know, like they a have bingo the box card or brackets, something. It's like kind of bingo card thing. Yeah. Or if we have those prop bets and we can all like put them in ahead of time. Throw in quarters or something. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. Dollars. Yeah. Yeah. That'd be, yeah. That'd be ah, really that's fun. a good idea. That's fun. What about you though, Rob? What's the nerdiest thing you did this week? So I had to travel for work since the last episode, just go out of town and, and take okay. some professional development classes and stuff. And I was like, well, what am I going to do? Like, maybe I'll go hit up a restaurant or maybe I'll go see what the city's got and this kind of thing. And I was like, no, I'm tired and I need to go to bed early so I could be on time for this thing that I'm traveling for and all that stuff. So I, 
I brought a box of plastic miniatures and oh, I, snap. and I sat, I spent my evenings uh, sitting at the little hotel desk in the hotel, the hotel room under the little lamp there with my exacto knife and my nippers and my super glue. And I built a ton of models. Oh <laughs> my God. My... Did you drive? Was it when you could drive to? Yes. Yes. yes Cause that so changes the game a little, right? You, absolutely. Like if you yeah. have to fly, you're not going to build that stuff, but I yeah. put everything in the box and I came home with a bunch of assembled stuff and, <laughs> and that hotel room was just full of like those little tiny pieces of plastic <laughs> from like the nippers and like exactly what I've cleaned it. Like the carpet was just covered. Like, I don't know what that housekeeping service was going <laughs> to think when they came in. They're like, what is this stuff? But I hope you left funny. them a tip. <laughs> that is pretty nerdy. And you got the nerdy work conference too. So like you were double nerd. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was pretty funny. And I've done that before. I've definitely yeah. had, especially if I have deadlines coming up and I'm like, oh my gosh, yes. I got to paint these. I got to finish this whatever for a game that's coming up. But also I'm going to be in, I'm going to be in Palm Springs for a week. Did I spend my time out downtown Palm Springs party? Nope. I was in that hotel room. (laughs) Dry brushing 3D printed terrain or whatever. How funny. Super nerdy. Hey, everyone. Grab your popcorn. Next episode, we are diving into the world of cult classic films. We'll explore those unforgettable movies that have won our hearts in unconventional ways. We'll celebrate the movies that have defied expectations and become timeless in their own right. If you want to keep up to date on Nerd Best Friends, hit that subscribe or follow button now. Oh, I didn't even get to that, by the way, on my ner- my nerdiest thing I did this week. Yeah. What'd you do? Because you had sent some links about moving our podcast to another hosting site. Oh, yeah. Because since Spotify took over Anchor, <laughs> it's crazy how bad our analytics are right now. Mm. When we were gaining so much momentum last season. Right. And the only thing that has changed, we're more awesome. If our anything, we got better. Awesome. <laughs> yeah. And we're, you know, we're present on our social media. Like we're doing all the things, but suddenly our analytics are down. And it, and I think we had a listener tell us like Spotify wasn't sending them the top episode or the right, newest Spotify episode does of the week. Super it's funky. Like, yeah. Yeah. So I've been searching that. But anyways, hit that subscribe or follow button now. That is the best way on your device that you'll get the newest content and episodes from us. We appreciate our fans, especially the ones that share our podcast with others and give us that five star rating wherever they get their podcasts we are at nerd best friends on social medias and you can send us a message through podcast at nerdbestfriends.com these are the best and easiest ways to grow our nerd family so go do it this was a new idea right the 30 year retrospective for the year and i'd like to keep doing it i thought it was fun so we definitely want that feedback of like oh yeah that was fun to remember all those things or i don't know what you guys were talking about what a waste of an episode i don't want to hear about this (laughs) i stopped listening after (laughs) i fast forwarded to the nerdiest thing you did this week right i'd love to know (laughs) until next episode thanks for listening there you go can you hear any background noise andrew's tap dancing in the living room (laughs) what is he tap dancing for anything goes